Thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. 
So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. If you will stand with me, I'd like to uh, read to you out of uh, 1 Peter. Uh, actually, the men at 7 a.m. on Tuesdays have been going through uh, 1 Peter. It's been a wonderful uh, study of fellowship. If you're available on Tuesdays, I encourage you to be a part of that at 7, 7 a.m. if you're up, up and going that early. Uh, but it is a blessing to be with brothers to work through the Word of the Lord. We're going to read First uh, Peter. I'm going to start at verse 3 of chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly with rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the public reading of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us today. Uh, to know and understand uh, what, what you would have us to carry away this afternoon, Lord, by the grace and mercy of the Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to hear. God, that you would help me to only speak that which you would desire to be spoken, Lord. We thank you for it. Thank you for your grace and mercy today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you as you are seated. So uh, just a quick uh, recap uh, for you about First Peter is that uh, the, the purpose of First Peter is to encourage believers to sort of stand fast in their faith while they are enduring uh, the difficulties and suffering and distress in this present evil age. And so Peter is trying to encourage people who are going through difficult times. He's trying to build people up who are going through challenging uh, circumstances. And he tells us that those who hope and trust in God and in the future reward that the Lord has will have strength to endure whatever comes in this present life. So those who are trusting in God for what is to come in the future will have the strength to endure in the challenges that they face in the here and now. That when you and I set our hope on the future, we 
uh, reveal to everyone else that our salvation comes from the cross of Christ where our sins, where, who bore our sins, Jesus who bore our sins upon the cross. And so Peter talks to us as we look at this second Sunday of Advent and we think about the hope that comes through this babe who came in his first advent, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter talks to us about this living hope because we can't just think about Christmas in terms of a babe in a manger. If the babe is coming in a manger, we have to see the existence of the babe to grow and to learn and to find himself hanging upon a cross, shedding his blood. There was a purpose for the babe to come in the manger, and it wasn't for everyone to say how cute and how wonderful. The purpose for the babe to come in the manger was to live and then to die in our place. You see, it should have been you and I on that cross. It should have been you and I who took the penalty and took the wrath of God upon ourselves. It should have been us who are receiving that punishment. But Jesus, as a spotless, perfect, sinless sacrifice, died upon the cross for you and for me. And Peter says that through that, we have this living hope. God, through his initiative, through the cross has caused us to be born again. Tom talked about it this morning. It's been mentioned as we sang, to be born again means that by faith we believe that Christ's work on the cross has appeased the wrath of God. When you and I say that we are saved, I am saved, what that means is that we are saved from God's punishment that we were deserving because Christ has already taken that punishment upon himself. That is what we believe by faith. We believe by faith that Christ was our substitute. We believe also that when Christ died, God's power raised him up again on the third day. And because he was raised from the dead, we too, those of us who believe, shall also be raised from the dead at the end of the age. Before the cross in your life and in my life, before our encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, anything that we would have experienced in terms of what is coming at the end of the age would have been some kind of wishful thinking at best. Before you come into relationship with Jesus, whatever you think about the end of your life, whatever you think happens when somebody uh, dies, when we go to the cemetery and we watch them lower the casket or bury an urn or whatever way you're going to do it, when you look at it, if you're before the cross or you're not part of the Christian family, all you're doing at that point is wishful thinking, hoping that something better is on the other side, hoping that there's something greater on the other side of death or something peaceful. I've had people say that to me, even about my, my own mother's death. Well, I hope she's okay. And my response is, I don't have to hope she's okay. I know she is okay. I have a confidence that what happened on the cross gives me this living hope. And so before the cross, anyone who hasn't had an encounter with Jesus, whatever they believe, whatever they think, is simply wishful thinking. But when we encounter the cross of Christ, see, 
Over here, all of the world's problems, all of the world's challenges, all the things that you face in day-to-day life, the people who are against you, the workplace that's toxic, family and friends, and everything that you can name off and list off that is bad and difficult and challenging, all these things, Jesus doesn't promise us that on this side all that gets fixed. He doesn't say to us that your family is finally going to fall in line. Your workplace is finally going to fall in line. People are going to be happy because you're a believer now once you cross on the other side. He doesn't tell us that. But the difference comes when you and I are on this side and we see the cross of Christ and we believe by faith through the gift of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus died upon the cross, that he shed his blood for you and for me, and that when they took him off the cross and when they laid him in the tomb on the third day, he rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. When we believe that by faith, faith, the Bible says that we are transferred in Colossians from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So now that we have come into relationship with Christ, by faith we believe into him, in him, we believe that he has risen from the dead. Now Peter says we don't just have wishful thinking that we have over here, we actually have now a living hope. We have a living hope on this side of the cross. Those of us who have believed in Jesus, we have a living hope. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go perfect. That is where some believers get tripped up in their faith, is that they think everything is going to go just fine. Now that I've accepted Jesus, now that I am saved from the wrath that is to come, everything on this life is going to be fine, that there won't be any more sorrow. Well, there's a reason that the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that it's actually in the end of the age when Jesus comes to dry every tear. So there's a process from getting to the cross. I have a white robe over here to represent glory with the Lord in heaven. So there's a process from here to over here where you're in glory before the Lord. Here there are glimpses. There are times when you and I intercede and we pray and God moves in such a way that we know it was God's hand. We know it was God's power. We know it was God's grace. And that's what the Bible talks about and tells us. It is a taste. It's just a taste of what is to come. And what that little taste does is it helps to sort of push us along toward the feast that is going to happen later on. That is what helps us to persevere in this life through death, through challenge, through people doing things to us that maybe aren't right or whatever thing you want to put in your circumstance, in your situation. It is the living hope that we have that there will come a time when everything will be made right. There will come a time when there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Our hope takes us from the time that we spend at the cross to the time in glory to push us to persevere in the faith. We hear about so many people in our day that 
are, are the, the current term is, you know, they're deconstructing their faith. Really, it is leaving the faith or they'd never had faith to begin with. That is where I begin to see charlatans and people who are taking advantage of someone who used the pulpit and then uh, years later turn away and say, no, everything I said really wasn't true anymore. That's someone who I think in many ways had never ever encountered the cross. Had never experienced the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Had never seen his grace and his mercy that flowed from the cross when he gave his life for you and for me. But the cross brings us to this point of what Peter says is our living hope. And I think in our day, you and I need to understand what it means to live from the cross to glory and to live faithfully. To live faithfully from the cross to glory. First Corinthians 15 tells us that if there is no resurrection from the dead, we are to be most pitied. That this is all just a made up thing. If there is no resurrection from the dead. But by faith, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was that first fruit. He was the first one to be risen from the dead. And as we enter into this space of existing in a living hope, when we say we live in, we, when Peter says that we have this living hope, what is hope? I can't stand in this building and say, oh, I hope they turn the lights on. Well, that would be quite silly, wouldn't it? We're standing in the middle with all the lights on. We've already experienced what it is. Hope is something that you are anticipating, looking towards, anxious for. The challenge is, I think at times in our uh, Christian culture that there are those who have often made a maybe a formulaic prayer or something that was simply based in emotion and think that they have encountered the cross when they haven't encountered the cross at all. You see, there is a there is a transference that a, a transition that happens in our life when we encounter the cross. Before I come into salvation with Jesus, I bear my guilt and iniquity. I bear my shame. I bear it myself. After the cross of Christ, that burden is lifted from me. I bear it no more. And this is why you and I, we should never stand and look at someone who has vibrant praise and turn our nose up and think they're making a fool of themselves. I wish that there were more people who had vibrant praise, more people who realized the depths from which the Lord Jesus Christ delivered them from, more people who realized the cost that it took to deliver them from their sin and from their iniquity. If we truly realized what it was that Jesus did upon on this cross by giving his very life for us, many of us would have much more vibrant praise. 
Because God has done what no one else could do. We can't even fathom in our minds what it would be to have eternity separated from God. We have no conception of what it would be to live eternally under the wrath and punishment of God. This is why so many theologies in our day want to kind of mitigate it a little bit. Hell is just a place of darkness. It's not that bad. People will ultimately just be annihilated. God won't eternally torment. That's not what what the Word says. You know, we either can believe what has been written for us through the power of the Holy Spirit, or we can make it up ourselves. If I'm making it up myself, I'm just doing what I want to do. I make my own self my God, don't I? I become the authority. I become the one who makes the decisions and calls the shots of what eternity is going to be like. When you and I come to the cross and our sins are forgiven and our guilt is taken away, you know that you have had an encounter with Jesus. When you're saved, you know you're saved. I think it's as simple as that. If you don't know that you're saved this morning, pray through that you would have confidence in your salvation. Pray through that the Holy Spirit would minister to you to give you confidence that the work that was accomplished on the cross is enough for you that you could step into the living hope in confidence, persevering through every trial, every circumstance, every situation in light of the glory that is to come. We have a living hope to obtain an inheritance Peter says in chapter 1 and verse 4, an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and which will not fade away. Again, these people were suffering under difficulty and hardship. And any hope that they had that things would be better in this life was fading away. And Peter wanted them to understand that the blessings of Christ are only fully apportioned to us in the life that is to come. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. There will be things that you walk through in this world that you wish you hadn't had to walk through. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, the Lord says, for I have overcome the world. As the Israelites in the Old Testament, as they wandered through the desert, Moses spoke of the promised land as their inheritance. They weren't yet in the land, but they could think of it as already taking possession of it, as it already being ours, journeying in the wilderness to this land that God had previously promised to them, walking through even the wilderness in a living hope that God was going to provide what he said he was going to do, that God's promise was yes and amen. And in the same way, you and I walk through this life as well, walking from the cross to glory in living hope and anticipating that there is rest with the Lord on the other side. Trusting in Him, 
There is a heavenly territory that has been provided to you and to me. We have this living hope, not wishful thinking. And verse 5 tells us that our inheritance is protected through faith in God's power. That we are protected by the power of God through faith. God has given us faith, which we must then put into action to believe that he is able to keep us and to preserve us until the very end. As I stand here and I think about some of you and some of your stories that you've shared with me in times past or that you've testified about the grace of God in, what I'm able to look at you and say is only the grace of God has carried them through. We can look at situations and we can look at people who continue to come, who continue to be faithful, who continue to read the word, who continue to believe in Jesus, who will not turn back, will not let their eyes go to the left hand or to the right, but keep themselves focused on the grace of God that is ahead of them. We can look at people like that, and what we can say is only by the grace of God are they walking through this life and maintaining their faith. In fact, I would say there are some circumstances where even believers could look and say, how could God allow that to happen? And yet there are people that continue to keep the faith, continue to say, I will not turn back. Within them is the bubbling of this living hope. This hope that does not disappoint. This hope that gives life to our faith. This hope that hears what the world around us is trying to speak and trying to say and what the world around us thinks. And a hope that says, you may think that way right now, but I am praying by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ touches your heart and transforms you like he did me. That he takes you from simply wishful thinking. Because if you don't have the Lord, you don't know Jesus, there is no hope in the afterlife. But if this one who has probably been wounded by people, wounded by churches, wounded by Christians, if they can grasp a hold of the living hope of Jesus Christ, they can walk faithfully, not keeping their eyes upon this world and the things in this world, but keeping their eyes set toward the prize that is before them. This is what the Lord is calling you and I to do. This is why your testimony is so important. Think about in your life what took you from where you were, even if you were a young child, what took you from where you were to the power of the cross to existing in this moment in the space of living hope? What has brought you through? What does your testimony say? How can you share that with someone else? Or in a world that is in desperate need of hope. Brother Chris spoke last week about a world that's in need of peace. We also live in a time in which there was a world in need of hope. There is no hope in our governments, in the halls of Congress. You and I as 
many of us here as American citizens or people living in this country, we won't find hope in Washington, D.C., and unfortunately, too many people try to find it there. But we will find hope in the cross. And this morning, if you're here, you don't know what it is to experience that true living hope. What I can tell you is that these people in the day of First Peter, the people that he was writing to, were under severe and difficult persecution because they were believers. Their lives were under threat. They were being martyred for their faith. I don't know that any of us in this room have really experienced that to the extent of what these believers in 1 Peter uh, were experiencing. And Peter's admonition, his encouragement to them is that you have been born again to a living hope. In essence, what he is saying is, I'm sorry that you're experiencing what you're experiencing. I'm sorry that you have lost loved ones. I'm sorry that there are those who are coming after you. I'm sorry that it looks like this is a very uh, difficult time in your life, and you thought that the Lord was going to fully you del deliver you from all of these things. What I want you to know is that deliverance is not just yet. This living hope is going to carry you through to what is to come. And maybe it's some of us that need to hear that this morning as well. The challenges of your week, the challenges of your life, the challenges in your family, the challenges in your work, whatever it may be, Jesus did not promise to deliver you from all those things. He came to deliver you from the power of sin. He came to deliver you from the wrath of God. He took it on the cross himself. But in this life, you're going to have tribulation. But it's not a reason for turning back. Actually, it's a reason for pressing forward. Amen. And so let's stand together this morning. <clears throat> let's consider the grace of God for you and for me. Maybe you are here this morning and you are at that moment. Maybe you have not experienced that living hope. You wonder in your life, yeah, I, I've made a confession but I don't have that living hope. Maybe your faith has been shaken. Maybe you're wondering if all this is even true. The old saints used to talk about someone who would pray through. Pray through. Continue to pray. Continue to seek. Continue to earnestly cry out after God until what the old saints would say is they got the victory. What that meant is that they got the confidence that God had touched them and transformed their life. Prayed through until they got the victory. Maybe this morning you need to experience that type of prayer where you pray through until you get the victory. Maybe this morning the Lord's touching your heart for the first time. What we don't want in a place such as this where we're proclaiming the gospel where I think this morning you've heard it two or three times at least where there are people who are praying for you, have been praying for you, have been crying out for God to help us be a true community of faith. What we don't want is for anybody to walk out who, come, who came in with doubt and walks out with doubt. What we don't want is someone who came in with struggle in your life, who felt like you're alone and you walk out feeling alone as well. What we want to experience is the power of God working through His people to help each one of us 
know and experience that living hope. The first advent, Jesus came to bring hope. As we pray, if you desire prayer this morning, and as we and as we worship, the altars here are always open. Find yourself seeking the Lord together. We'll they'll lead us in a chorus or two. We won't spend a long time. If you want to spend a long time, you're welcome to. We'll pray with you. Let's seek the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanksgiving in our heart, Lord, asking you to guide us and lead us by your truth. If you're here this morning, you need the grace of God in your life. You need God's work within you. You need to know, you need your guilt and iniquity taken away. You're still under the bondage of guilt from the past life. You need God to touch you and to transform you. You need to pray through. You need to get the victory. Please come and pray. Don't don't leave. If you're here, you're under the, the burden of sin. You need God's delivering power. You want to be free, but you need God's delivering power. Please come. We will intercede and pray with you. Let's continue to pray and lift our voices to the Lord this morning. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.